And if you are joining us for the first time today, it is a great day for you to be here as we are starting a brand new series called, What Did Jesus Meme? Now, I know you're probably looking at that going, what in the world? All right. And so as we are going through this series, here is what we're going to be looking at. Or let me clarify first what a meme is. Okay. So you may have seen memes without knowing that you've seen a meme. If you don't know what a meme is, all right? So here's some examples of some popular memes. One of them is the pump fist kid, okay? So here it is, all right? So dad found a quarter behind my ear. I'm rich, yes, right? Like he's he's excited and celebrated about that. Maybe you've seen this little guy with the pump fist going around the internet, okay? Here's another one, the grumpy cat. Right? If you're a cat person, like you maybe have seen Grumpy Cat, you love Grumpy Cat. And so if I've said anything or done anything to hurt you, I don't care. Right? Like here is Grumpy Cat now all angry and mad. But this goes great with what we're actually going to be talking about this today. This idea of, you know what, I don't care what you think. All right? But here's truly where memes came from. Okay. So memes came from this idea actually by evolutionary biologist, Richard Dawkins. He coined the term. He came up with the idea of a meme in his book that he wrote called the simple or the selfish gene. And in that book, he talked about how information was transmitted from organism to organism uh, without this major communication. And so what happened was, in 1995, when this thing called the internet came along, they grabbed that phrase and used it in the way that information was passed around the internet. And then we took it culturally just in the past two or three years, and we said, you know what, this information that's being passed around a lot, I think we should slap this label on it of being a meme. That's what we should do. And so that's what memes are. Now you're like, great, thanks. I learned something. Maybe you didn't know that. Cool. What does that have to do with Jesus, right? Like I'm here to learn about Jesus today or hear about Jesus. Well, what we're going to look at over these next couple weeks as we go through this series is one of Jesus's greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5. And in this recording of his sermon, Jesus is transmitting information. And he's transmitting that information to this multitude of people that are sitting on the side of this mountain that he has this opportunity to share with. But here's the thing. Through the course of this series, we're going to be looking at these statements that Jesus makes. Where he says this. He says, I know that you have heard it said. And then he fills in the blank. But I say. And then he fills in the blank. Right? So he takes what they have heard or what information has been transmitted to them and he says, actually, let me tell you a little bit more about that. Right? And so he's going to clarify for them, the listener, hey, look, this is what you need to know about this. This is what you need to hear. Because here's what had happened. The cultural leaders of the time, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had taken the scriptures and they had distorted them to what basically created their own little holy and righteous thing with the scriptures that they said, this is what you need to do to be holy and righteous. And they had set up this, their own little baseline of, okay, if you do this, then you're good, right? You're good. And what Jesus is about to do in the Sermon on the Mount, again, his greatest sermon is he's about to come in and just put a stick of dynamite to it and blow it up, blow it up. 
blow up this standard that they have set. That they have put as the baseline for these people. So here in this crowd you have the scribes and the Pharisees who have set this baseline. But also you have all of these people who are being taught by these scribes and Pharisees. And they go, wait, that's not what they've said. And he's like, I know. But this is what I say. Right? I say. And so we're going to be looking at that over these next couple Weeks And so, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, all right? If you don't have your Bibles, uh, it's going to be up on the screen, all right, as we go through this particular passage. And so, again, we're in this, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus is teaching to this multitude of folks. And what is, has begun as, is he starts with this thing called the Beatitudes, And he teaches through these beatitudes or these blessings. And as we we looked at a couple weeks ago, he then funnels it down to these particular individuals who are willing to be persecuted for Christ. They're willing to be persecuted to follow him. He's now narrowed it down. But then as we pick up today, he has now zoomed back out. Right? He has zoomed back out to everyone that is in the crowd as he begins to speak here in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17. And he says this. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Okay? Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. All right? For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is he telling them there? He's saying, look, what you're about to hear doesn't void all of this other things that you've heard it adds to it if anything right so it's not going to void it so I didn't come to overtake it and erase it but I have come to even fulfill it to show you what this looks like and to give you an example of what it can look like but then he lays out this line here at the end of that right for I tell you unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of God now for these people that are sitting here listening to this he's they're going wait a minute these are the people that are setting the standard for us these are the people that we're looking to and they're telling us how we then should live and you're saying that we need to be more righteous than them yeah yeah But he's about to break that down. And he's about to break it up. And so as he continues, look what he says. He says his first statement here. You have heard that it it was said to our ancestors. Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Okay, wow. So he's taken... What they've heard in the Old Testament, right? Do not murder. And he has added to that. No, no. Not only if you have not murdered, but you have an anger in your heart. You then should receive the same judgment. Okay. 
Now here's the deal. Here's what was happening. The scribes and Pharisees were saying, all right, I haven't murdered, right? I haven't killed anybody. So then I must be righteous. I must be holy because I have upheld that law or that command that was given in the Ten Commandments, the scriptures that they were holding to. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't gone through that act. So I am in in fact holy. But here comes the stick of dynamite, right? If you're angry in your heart, you then are in the same place as the one who goes through the act. Now, we're going to explain that a little further as we walk through here, okay? All right, so here's the deal. A couple years ago, I was the missions and director, or the mission pastor for our church in Arkansas. We were partnered with two churches in Chicago, one of which was in South Chicago. And if you know anything about the violence of Chicago, one of the most violent cities in all of the United States, South Chicago is the place where the violence happens. Like that's the hot zone, that's the red area. And when you talk about the tracks that you don't cross, those tracks were literally outside and across the street from this church that we served with. Like that was the South Chicago where you hear about all of these shootings and murders and different things. And for those people, when you begin to talk to them about murder and you begin to talk to them about shootings and all of those different things, man, it is the life that they live. And on the regular, and what I mean by the regular is like weekly, they are attending the funeral of someone they know who has more than likely been murdered. Like that's their norm. And they're used to it. And that's the life that they live and the place that they sit. And when we think about murder, man, we look at Chicago and we go, okay, that's tough, right? Like that's real deal tough. And there's multitudes of different ways that that can happen. There's super violent murders, right? There's domestic violence where maybe something happens where we get in a squabble and then it just escalates from there, right? We have serial murder where it's one person takes multiple folks. We have all of these different things that are happening across the United States where we are seeing murder. And we look at that and we go, man, that is not who I am. Right? Like I would never do that. I would never go to that extreme of the actual act. But what Jesus is saying here is, look, you may not go to the act But your heart starts in the same place that that person that does do the act. When your heart is overtaken with this anger, you are in the same place as that person who will step through to the act of murder. Like, thanks, Ray. This is such an inspiring message today, right? But here's the thing. As we go through this series, there's going to be some tough things that we're going to look at. And some tough things that we're going to talk about. And I want to further take you into God's word of where that is coming from as we talk about it this morning. All right? Our heart being in this place. So as we continue on in Matthew 15, a little bit later, Jesus is going to say a statement that's going to speak to this. In verse 18. Now, he's actually speaking to this idea. His disciples are asking this question of, okay, what do we eat? What should we eat? And he's talking about what truly defiles the body. But look at what he brings into it here in verse 17 is where we're going to start. Don't you realize that whatever goes into your mouth passes into your stomach and is eliminated? Okay, so he's answering that question. But then he goes deeper into it and he says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. 
Okay, so what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And for, from the heart comes these things. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, theft, false testimony, and blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. These are the things that spoil a man. These are the things that desecrate a man. But where do these things come from? What is the root that he gives? It comes from the heart. That is the root that it stirs from. So again, whether you go through the complete act of murder or whether you're so angry with someone, it all starts there in the heart. That's where it starts. Now, Paul would further speak to this over in the book of Galatians. So we're going to flip over there. Sorry, it fell out of my Bible. Just kidding. And he says this in verse 16. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now look at what he says next. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Okay? The works of the flesh are obvious. Now some versions of the Bible say sinful nature. So the works of the sinful nature are obvious. So the sin within us that spurs anger, okay, comes from these things. Look here. Our obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Now you say, okay, those things don't really go with murder. But look what comes next. Idolatry, sorcery, and then we really get heavy into it. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Well, that's a pretty heavy list. It is. But those are things of the flesh that naturally reside in our hearts. Now, if we think about this for a second, we think about the people throughout Scripture who actually move to the actual act of murder. Right? The physical act. The vile act of murder. And we walk through that list for a moment. You're going to see that these things of the heart, of the flesh, are what played into the actual act of what they did. Right? So think about it for a second. The very first murder that we see in Scripture, Cain goes up against his brother. Right? He kills his brother. But what was fueling that desire? Jealousy. Right? Jealousy, selfish ambition, envy, all of those things were there in his heart, which took him then to the axe. So we have then Cain, we have Lamech, we have Pharaoh who had this hatred towards these people, right? We have Abimelech, we have Joab, we have David. David, one of the biblical heroes who was also what? A murderer. Why? Because of selfish ambition, because of jealousy, because of envy. That's what fueled his murder. As we continue, Absalom 
Jezebel, Jehu, Joash, all these people, and there's more, all just in the Old Testament by themselves. But then we move into the New Testament and we see these other folks who take Jesus Christ, an innocent person, and what do they do to him? They murder him. They murder him. They put him on a cross. But what was it that fueled that? It was hatred, selfishness, jealousy, envy. I mean, we look at how Jesus just talked to the scribes and Pharisees, right? Like, look, you've heard them say this, but I'm going to say this. And that fueled that within them, didn't it? And they brought him where? They brought him to a cross. Now, again, it all starts at the same place. Right? Whether we move to the act or whether we just simply are harboring this anger or this grudge, it all starts in the same place. It starts in the base of the heart. It starts in the heart. Martin Luther King had a great phrase or quote that he wrote in, his, in one of his works called Stride Towards Freedom. And it says this. It says to resolve this. And he's talking about the hatred and the segregation that was going on. He says, look, to resolve this, we must work to avoid not violence of deed, but violence of the spirit. Right? Because if we can fix the condition of the heart, then we can fix the condition of the deed. If our heart is focused on the right things, then we're headed in the right direction. Now let's head back to Matthew chapter 5. We're having a little bit of a Bible drill this morning, right? But head back to chapter 5. And Jesus here, he gives us some examples of what that anger is going to look like. What that bitterness is going to look like. What that grudge is going to look like in the heart of the individual. Now, I truly believe that he is, he is speaking into what he is seeing just in the crowd that is there. But also has the ability, because he's Jesus, right? To speak to what we would see even today. And so in verse 22, he begins by saying, But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, that doesn't mean your big brother or your little brother that's picked on you the majority of your life. And you're angry with them. Now, it might mean that. But what he is meaning is your fellow human being. And even your fellow believer. Like, if you have anger in your heart towards that individual towards that person, then you are subject to the same judgment as one who murders. And then look as he continues in 22. He says, And whoever says to his brother, Fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. Now, what he's saying here is, look, this is the person that is beginning to have a little bit of an outburst of anger. It's starting to show, right? If you will, shorten that down. You're spouting it off. You're giving them a little bit of your mind, a piece of your mind. And it's moved into and began to move into the actual act of anger, the actual act of bitterness, the actual grudge. And then as he continues on, he says, but whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. Now, next time you say you're moron, you're going to think about it, aren't you? Right? Like, oh boy, okay. Right? Subject to hellfire. Now, those are some pretty stout words, right? But here's what saying someone is a moron was about. This was the one who goes against the, uh, that person's character. 
that person's character and that person's being, you are going against that particular person who, if you even go deeper with that, is a person that God himself has created. But you're going against all of that. Now let me sum that up in kind of a, or try to sum that up in a, in a quick little phrase here, okay? In the context of what he's speaking to, he's saying, look, Pharisees and scribes, you're depending on your own self-righteousness. And just because you don't kill, you think you're holy. But let me, let me tell you something. Look, if you're angry, if you've ever said any malicious word about somebody's character, if you've ever cursed someone, then you are similar to a murderer. And if you are then coming to the altar to worship God and you have something against your brother, you are in the place of the same judgment. Wow. Okay. That hurts, right? That hurts a little bit. It definitely causes us to check our hearts. And go, okay, who am I then holding a grudge against? Who am I holding this anger against? But look, he doesn't stop there. He continues on, and look at what he says in verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge to be judged and you will be thrown into prison. Man, that's encouraging. No, what he's saying is, look, you must reconcile. You must reconcile your Heart, what that anger is doing, what that bitterness is doing in your heart is creating a wall between you and your relationship with the Lord and your ability to fully worship Him. In this conversation here, He is elevating reconciliation above religion, reconciliation above religion. This is a big deal. You are to leave your offering and go and reconcile with your brother before you come in and bring it before the Lord. So what does that mean for us today? Here's what it means. If your heart is heavy with bitterness or anger, you need to seek out that person and reconcile. You need to seek that person out and reconcile. If you have grudges, you need to tear them down. You need to readjust. Because here's the thing. Again, Jesus sets this standard and he says, your self-righteousness, your self-righteousness doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. In fact, he, he devastates that comfort that they've found. But here's what he really does. He sets a standard that no one can accomplish. Right? He sets a standard that no one can accomplish. But one. But one. He himself. Right? He 
himself. He would be the example for us. He would be the example. And not only that, he would then come to a place of reconciling us. Now, have you ever had a person that made you so mad that they ruined your whole day? Like they ruined your whole day. And everything that happened that day was their fault. Right? Like everything that happens was their fault. You're late to something, it was that person's fault. Like they did it. Right? Like everything that happens, and it even may move to the next day and the next day, but everything that happens was because that person made you so, so angry, so mad. Well, that's what Jesus is saying can happen with your worship. Your heart can be so hardened that when you come into the place of worship, that anger is holding it so hard that it is putting up a barrier between you and Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, look, the first step, the first step is the reconciliation. It's the reconciliation. You say, well, you know, Ray, you just don't know what that person did to me. Like, I've held on to this for five years. I've held on to this for 10 years. Like, you don't understand the extent of what they have done and what they brought against me. They did defile my character. They did break me down. They did tear me down. They made me feel this big. And it may sound a little cliche, but I want you to weigh that against our picture. Right? Our picture between us and Jesus Christ. Between us and the Lord. When we talk and we walk through this idea of reconciliation. Because in Romans, it says that we are enemies of the Lord. We are enemies of the Lord. In fact, turn over there with me. Matt, um, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. I told you we we're going to do a little Bible drill this morning. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says this For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. And for rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies... Check that again. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have now received this reconciliation through him. So when you look at that particular person and you say, that person, I can't stand them. They are my enemy. Look here, we were enemies of the Lord and he has reconciled himself to us. But it starts where? It starts back in the heart 
It starts in our heart. And that's what I'm calling and asking you to do today. If there is anger, if there is a grudge, if there is bitterness, if there is hurt, if there is any of that going on in your heart today, this week or at the soonest moment that you can, I so desire that you go and you reconcile with that person. Because what it's doing is it's holding your heart back from what the Lord truly wants to do. It's holding you back from fully worshiping Him. It's created a barrier on your heart. In the spirit of memes, I was going to put a picture up at the end of the movie Finding Nemo. (laughs) The fish are all in the bags. And they go rolling out the window and they plop themselves in the water. And they're looking around and they go, now what? Right? But they're still in the bags. And if we think about this idea of reconciling, that's where we are. The Lord has this whole big ocean for you. But yet you're simply stuck in this simple little bag. He's asking us to reconcile our hearts. So that we can fully and more fully experience him. So again, I want to challenge you this week. Because I can guarantee that as we've been talking through this, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Lord has probably put somebody on your heart. Somebody on your heart that you need to reconcile yourself with and to. Take advantage of that this week. Take advantage of it. And do it. Now we're going to step into this time of our communion. And what a sweet time and what a perfect day to do it, right? As we remember and we think back to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He reconciled himself to us in the time that we were enemies to him. And so Jesus, he brought his disciples together the night before he was taken to be arrested. And he he brought them into this room and he said, look, He takes a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says, look, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. They didn't understand what that meant at that time, right? But then he brings out a cup. He says, this is my blood that is going to be shed for you. Or he says, shed for you. They don't know what that means at that time. But he says, do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us in this reconciliation. And so Chad's going to come back up and he's going to lead us through a song. And as that song begins, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is look at your heart. Examine your heart. What is it? Who is it that's holding you back from fully worshiping the Lord? Because what did he say? Leave your offering here and go reconcile. Now, I'm not asking you to leave the building and go reconcile and then come back. But think through, who is it that maybe needs you need to reconcile with? What does that look like? And then what we're going to ask you to do is just come up here as you feel led. You're going to grab a cracker, which represents the bread. You're going to grab a cup, represents the juice. And take that as you feel led to do so. And then you can return to your seat.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Lord, even though our hearts were hardened, even though our hearts were evil, Lord, that you loved us so much and you reconciled us to your son. And Father, I pray that we not hold on to anger as this thing that is holding us back from fully experiencing you. Lord, may we forgive as we have been forgiven. May we love as we have been loved. And Lord, may we care as we have been cared for. And Lord, may this time right here just be a sweet time of remembrance of who you are. And Lord, your love for us, but also your son that you sent for us. And Lord, we just lay this time at your feet. We give it to you. May you speak to us in this time. May our ears and our eyes be open to hearing from you. And we give this time to you. And we pray all of these things in your son's awesome name. Amen.